So this morning, we're going to continue in our narratives from the book, the Gospel of Mark. And um, as we've been, the last few sermons and, and texts have been about the, the time when Jesus and his disciples were hanging out around Jerusalem, around the temple. And so Jesus was commenting on some things about uh, the institution of religion and the temple in general. So uh, the narrative today from the 13th chapter, Jesus uh, again is uh, with the disciples. They've been in the temple doing what Jewish people do in the temple. Okay, And um, we have this teaching from Jesus which is sort of the first introduction to the apocalyptic Jesus. Uh, this is that part of Jesus' preaching, which is um, like Daniel or Revelation. It is Jesus uh, talking about the end of time. Okay? And, and I would encourage you to listen to this, not maybe as you have... In North America, we have uh, a, a strong tradition of apocalyptic preaching. Uh, in my opinion, it is based on the idea that if I frighten you enough, then you will turn to Jesus. Okay, um, That's not really, if you will listen to what Jesus is saying, he's not trying to frighten anybody. Okay. Mark 13, beginning at the first verse. As Jesus came out of the temple with his disciples, they said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what a large building. Then Jesus asked them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one of these stones will be left upon another. All of them will be thrown down. Then when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew came and asked him privately, tell us, Lord, when is all this going to happen? And what will be the signs that all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. And these are just the beginning of the birth pangs. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So how to talk about the apocalyptic Jesus. Apocalyptic Jesus. I didn't grow up in a, you know, fire, brim, fire and brimstone church, and I didn't hear a lot of this till I was older. It always confused me. Um, but it's effective. No doubt it's effective. There are many, many followers who've come out in churches that were motivated by an apocalyptic sermon. Okay, So it works. It's effective. And I'm not going to judge that. 
But I want to tell you out of out of my experience, this is maybe a, a let me let me let me help you to hear Jesus in his apocalyptic um, teaching. <clears throat> it goes like this. Jesus and his disciples were sitting around on the lawn at the University of Virginia. And they were looking around them and they were admiring the brickwork and the serpentine walls. They were admiring the columns and the genius that put them together to look just so and prevent the optical illusions. And they were admiring the grandeur of the dome of the rotunda. The disciples commented on the comfort that they took in knowing that the university was a time-tested institution which would support and strengthen the Charlottesville community for generations to come. And Jesus said, Ah, not so much. I tell you the day is coming when the dome on the rotunda will collapse and the columns will fall like dominoes all the way down the lawn, one after another. And these bricks that you see, they're all going to be dust. And no amount of historic preservation, engineering marvels and innovation, or architectural genius is going to stop this from happening. And Philip, Cindy, Bill, Jane, they all came and said, when is this going to happen? <laughs> they all came, what? When is this going to happen? All of this place, all of the things that we take such pride and comfort in, is going to go away? Now, I'm not, I didn't graduate from the University of Virginia, but my wife did. So I know these are fighting words when you start talking about this stuff, okay? So I don't mean to make you, uh, make you in, insecure, but I, isn't tech playing, isn't Virginia Tech playing UV? Anyway, I want to get into that either, okay? Could be a, some tough times for the University of Virginia. But I know that when you talk like this about things that people take great comfort in, these are fighting words, and not just for UVA. It's it's very human thing. We we are all uh, vulnerable and susceptible to taking comfort in lots of great things. But everywhere we human beings are trying to combat our fragility, um, the the fact that our lives are unpredictable. Anywhere that we look to historic preservation and the striving to get a sense of permanence and belonging and order ourselves in the light of the cosmos. Anywhere we do that, we are, we are participating in an insecurity. Uh, we all do it. Now, there may be some people here who love genealogies. You know, you know your family's genealogy. Maybe you know the, the daughters of the American Revolution. That's one of the ways that, that human beings have always kind of get a hold of where we are and where I stand. Tell me about my genealogy. Where do I come from? And oh, by the way, you know who who's who's going to be members of my club in the future? Our gene, genealogies we take comfort in. It's it's in the scripture. Read the the very first chapter of the first gospel of Jesus Christ starts with a genealogy. 
So we're, it's, all, it's all over the place. Uh, some of us take uh, comfort and look for a sense of permanence in our trust funds, our assets, our retirement, our IRAs. Uh, before we had those things, we had buried treasure. And we go bury the treasure, right? And, that, and that's, that's trying to get a sense of where, oh, I know where the map is. And it's just a great, it, we're trying to find a sense of who we are in permanence and taking comfort in the future. Uh, oftentimes, uh, human beings do this by, by building great statues and monuments to uh, things in the past that they're trying to educate and form or uh, contextualize the future because a brass statue lasts longer than I do. Uh, cultural traditions also give us this sense of permanent religious religious traditions do the same thing it's not something that's abnormal for human beings to do but jesus and apocalyptic preaching or teaching is about trying to say to you well guess what don't take comfort in that stuff it's all going to turn to dust the disciples you see they were a group of people uh, living under oppression. The Roman Empire had washed through uh, the Holy Land and they'd occupied the, and taken over the government. Um, they were people who were not of means. They were not the, the scholars of their day. They were not the great, uh, the great entrepreneurs of their day. They were just normal, everyday people living under occupation and they were trying to take some comfort in the fact that their temple, their religious center, the place where they practiced their faith was this grand building of the ancient world, one of the marvels. And they're walking out after being in the temple, practicing their religion in the middle of oppression and they said, you know, it's not too bad. Jesus, look at the size of these stones. Look at this massive building. This building this building is a symbol of our faith. It's where we practice our faith, and it still endures despite the Romans. Even though it was under occupation. Even though they had every reason to feel vulnerable. Even though they had every reason to feel weak or marginalized. They were taking some comfort in that. Now, we live in a world where it seems like we put great effort into keeping people from feeling uncomfortable or estranged or marginalized. We work really hard to try to keep you from saying, that doesn't make me feel comfortable, or I'm a little anxious about that. And, and, and we tend to be working very hard to make, give people that sense of comfort and stability. Well, in this moment, when the disciples are sort of pointing out to Jesus in, in their saying, oh, look how impressive this is, Jesus looks behind what they're saying, and they're saying, we feel vulnerable, we feel marginalized, we feel weak. And, we're, and Jesus says, yeah, you're right. This giant building is proof that God loves us, and we are the chosen people, and we don't have to worry about the future. Right? But that's not what he said. <laughs> Instead of saying, yeah, you're right. You know, we're, he didn't say that. Instead, he started talking about wars and famines and earthquakes and rumors of wars by these people who come and say, well, I'm the new prophet. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. And he says, don't listen to that. All these things that make us insecure, 
Jesus lists them all out. This is the apocalyptic Jesus. He says all these things. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and, and earthquakes. And what I'd like to, for you to do is sort of um, get into this text a little bit and, and ask yourself what you believe about Jesus. And I truly believe Jesus' gospel was not one where he frightened people into faith. I just don't see it as the way he worked. So what is Jesus trying to say? I would invite you not to write this little piece off as Jesus practicing fortune-telling. In the ancient world, many of the preachers, there there were a lot of fortune-tellers, palm readers, uh, magicians, they called them, people who would, would say, I can tell you the future, and people would go and pay them money. You know, they go to the temple, they worship God, then they walk down the street and they go in the fortune teller. So I would encourage you to hear, Jesus is not trying to be a fortune teller here. He's not predicting the future. He's not saying, well, in just 70 years, the Romans are going to come and destroy this temple and burn it to the ground, which is what happened. But that's not what Jesus was trying. He wasn't trying to be a fortune teller. Instead, read this passage as an effort to teach the disciples about the power and the presence of the love of God in this world. The idea that, that, that God and God alone is the ultimate and eternal truth upon we can fix ourselves, upon which we can trust the only foundation that is ours. He's trying to say, you live in a world of uncertainty and impermanence, but God wins. You live in a world where there's anxiety, but love wins. You live in a world where people are sick sometimes, and God is in it. You live in a world where there are wars and rumors of wars. God's in it. You live in a world where you get proud sometimes, but you know God's going to win in the end. Don't put your trust in the avoidance of suffering or in reclaiming the glories of the past or contextualizing yourself with something like a great building or wonderful architecture or a statue or a monument. Or what I would say our idol is today, we, we, we put our trust in data. We love data. Do you know there are buildings, acres and acres of buildings that are air conditioned so that we can keep computer chips to keep all, every single email you ever wrote, all your bank, all the data. That, look how much data we have in your phone. Jesus says, well, you know, one day the air conditioners in those buildings are going to turn off and all those chips are going to melt and all our data is going to be gone. (laughs) That's apocalyptic. (laughs) Instead, he says, live into a future without fear because you have a relationship with the God of eternity. You have a relationship with the maker of this universe. Live without fear despite the trials and uncertainties because the love of God is a living, breathing, flowing, real thing. In fact, it's the only thing that's real. Jesus is God incarnate. He came the the embodiment of the love of God right there in the flesh for us to touch. Well, not us, but the disciples. 
And it was the presence of the incarnation of God and the assurance of God's love that, that, that Jesus Christ led us into lives without fear, that faith's not only carrying a cross. Jesus talked, hey, don't, don't worry. You're, you're going to follow me. You're going to carry a cross. You're going to follow me. We're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to follow me. We're going up to Calvary. You're going to follow me. We're going to get crucified. You're going to follow me. We're going to die. But on the third day, God wins. That's where you put your trust. Jesus, the river of life. It's a constantly flowing source of being and power and the only source, really, of our security. Um, there was a pre-Socratic philosopher about 100 years before Jesus named Heraclitus. And he has this expression or saying that's most famous, you might have heard it, you cannot step into the same river twice can't step into the same river twice. You can walk up to a river, you can step in it, and if you go back there the next day and you step in that river, it's not the same river. You see, it's moved. The nature of the love of God in this world that Jesus is trying to talk to us about is not to scare us, but instead to say, this is the nature of God. God is moving all the time. Put your confidence in this, what Heraclitus called the logos of God, the living word of God, the God that moves and acts and loves and redeems in this world. And that's really all there is of permanence. This God of ours that's hard to get our hands of, but, the, but that we know is the only source of our salvation. And this, this love of God is, is a love and a power that moves in this world, and it is in our favor. If you've got God on your side, if the love of God is moving in your life, then you need not put your faith in the rotunda or the serpentine walls, or the bricks. Like Heraclitus, Jesus said that the, the conflicts and the strife and the trials and the wars that we see in the world are not things that are evidence of chaos, but instead is the evidence of how God moves in this world. God is in the midst of whatever ailment that you might be taking prescriptions for. If you've been sick... <laughs> or you are sick, God's in that too. God is in the trials that we face. In fact, it's kind of contrary to this life of avoiding suffering at all costs. And we have a Savior who says, here, take this cross and walk with it. That the strength is in the fact that we can endure all these things in the midst of the trials, the conflicts, the strife in the world. Because we have a God who's moving and doing new things. Uh, Jesus used the, the last word in his little teaching was he says, when you see all this stuff happening and when you're struggling and when you're having difficulties, guess what? That's the beginning of the birth pangs. He, so back in Jesus' day, they didn't have epidurals, right? So a child coming into the world, Christmas, we're getting ready. It's supposed to be the greatest thing in the world. A child coming into the world comes after pain. That we look to what God is doing through the pain. And that's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news to people who suffer. It is good news to the poor. It is good news to the marginalized. It is good news to those who find themselves vulnerable. The gospel, when you are desperate 
is truly, truly salvation to you. That's why, but when you're not desperate, when you're not marginalized, when you're not sick, when you're not feeling vulnerable, if you have a sense of, oh, I got, I got my retirement fund, I got, that's where it's harder to hear this gospel. It is harder to hear this gospel when you are a person who has a brain that works and has some sense of security in this world. So we struggle. It is harder for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Jesus would say to us, nonetheless, you can be at peace. For the God of heaven, who's going to throw down all these stones and knock down the rotunda, is going to be in the midst of the change that is about to come. And it will be nothing less than the salvation of the world. Thanks be to God for those who by faith have received the grace to live with that security that comes only from God. Amen.